Okay. Can you actually, okay. why don't you guys, let's see if that works. Okay, Mike's working. I want to, I want to thank Karen and also David Gonzalez of Skylight Books for helping us to set up this event. And I'd also like to thank my co-authors, Julia Stein, uh, who's going to be reading with me, who lives in Los Angeles here, and also Harriet Margolis, our first co-author, who uh, lives in New Zealand. So she couldn't make it today, but she was very instrumental in making this book happen. So we're very grateful. I'm very grateful to our co-authors, uh, as well as for the possibility of having this event. I'm really hoping that we'll be able to have a lively dialogue about gender equity. It's a really important issue in LA right now, um, uh, especially for women behind the camera and for screenwriters and for directors, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, this particular book celebrates camera women who film in war zones, who film on Hollywood sets, which are, which are sometimes a little bit like war zones in the, of the South, uh, in, on Bollywood sets, documentary films, uh, underwater, mountaintops, et cetera, et cetera, and indie films. And we've included uh, women who filmed in the 1910s, like the Senorita Eller sisters who filmed in Mexico. Uh, we filmed uh, uh, women in the, in the 1940s. Uh, I think Julia will tell you a little bit more about the women who traveled with Mao Zedong all around China as China's first camera, camera women. Uh, and certainly the camera women who are filming in uh, the 2010s who are providing role models uh, uh, for having faced a really sometimes tremendous challenges to make this an exciting job for women coming into it today. It's not an inclusive book, um, although it's probably the first, I think it's actually the second book that is a history of camera women. I wrote the first one of Women Behind the Camera, which focused on camera women in Hollywood. And this book that Julia and Harriet and I wrote uh, is international in scope. Um, but it, even though it's not the first book, um, it, I, I, I think it's a, it's a good start. And it tackles questions like, how do women become camera women? Uh, how hard can it be, including gender discrimination and harassment? And what, what's it really like? And what do camera women see? So I think uh, well, our game plan here is that uh, I'm going to read a little less than a page from the preface of the book, um, and then uh, Julia is going to read a, a, a few sections of the book as well, and then we'll open it right up for questions so that we can have a discussion, if that's okay with you. So uh, this preface I wrote because I had first made a uh, written the book, Women Behind the Camera, then I made a film which was international in scope called Women Behind the Camera, and then Shooting Women, which Harriet Margolis uh, interviewed uh, um, another camera woman for, and that, that's distributed by Women Make Movies, and we started to go very, very global with the project. And we had over a thousand pages of transcripts, and we started to hear from more camera women, more and more camera women, Indonesia, South Africa, and all kinds of camera women we didn't know had existed until the book and the film started coming coming out. So I thought, well, we've really got to write a book, make it global, get it out there. So that's what we did. So this preface is something that I wrote in the, um, uh, in the pretty much in the, in the passion of uh, 
the women's equity battle that's going on in LA right now. And it was published in January 2015, at least this particular draft. You know how academic publishing goes, it takes a little while. So you're going to notice one paragraph of those people who are, like in the Writers Guild, you'll know things have, have moved a little bit along the way, but not enough yet. So I think that's something we can discuss. I thought it would be better to read it as is rather than updating it. So my preface ends with the following. What will it take to change discriminatory employment patterns in the film and television industries, quote, making sure that all of our stories are told? We'll take recommendations and goodwill. No, doesn't work. Endless statistical studies, investigative journalism, naming names, better access to childcare and birth control, governmental pressure. The ACLU uh, is currently, of course, we know, you know, now we've moved on to the EEOC, but for those of you who know about this, but the, e the ACLU, American Civil Liberties Union, uh, is collecting evidence of discrimination against women directors. And as we shall see, some camera women, Geraldine Kudaka and Jesse Maple Patton, have successfully sued, and Heather McKenzie has successfully threatened to sue, to end discriminatory practices. However, um, uh, February 28th of 2011, the U.S. Department of Labor turned down an appeal against discriminatory practices in the IA600 election on the grounds that without Local 600 provided statistics on race, gender, age discrimination, which the union refused to collect. There's no case. Yet the U.S. House of Representatives uh, representatives around the same time passed legislation entitled Quote, fulfilling the potential of women in academic, sci academic science and engineering, which would require, quote, the White House science advisor to oversee regular workshops to enhance gender equity, to be attended by researchers who receive federal money and by heads of science and engineering departments at universities, end quote. So, since goodwill and raw talent are rarely enough, what else might work to combat sex discrimination. Where women's film festivals, cable television channels focusing on women's visions, class action suits to withhold FCC li license renewals until discrimination ends, women's visions going viral on YouTube, Australian actress Kate Blanchett uh, appealing to the American Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences for change while accepting her Oscar in 2014. And as we know, we can update this as well with you know, a host of, of, uh, of uh, women behind and in front of the camera who have been really fighting for more change for women directors. And then the issue becomes, in the case of camera women, when will camera women's needs uh, also be addressed? I'm crying out the preface sounds, to the international community to understand the enormous challenges that camera women have faced around the globe, making strides in an unequal industry. This book exists to celebrate their talents and achievements and to, and to empower more women in following their own visions wherever they are in the world. Uh, hi. Uh. I'm Julia Stein. I, uh, what I brought to the film, well, I mean, what I brought to the book, I was always very much interested in film. I have a background as an editor, as a writer, as a journalist. But when I started to, I had read, I'd seen the movie, uh, Woman Behind the Camera, and been really amazed and worked on a little bit. But what really 
amazed me was the stories from different countries. And when I thought about it, I realized I also have a BA in sociology from Berkeley. So I started to do a sociological analysis as I wrote a version, asking what questions, what, what structures or government policies around the globe have helped women advance in cinematography and other film fields. So I'll talk a little bit about these government programs or structures. The first of all was in China. In China, when the communist Chinese took power, Mao and Xiao Enlai and the whole leadership were very much for women uh, leaving uh, traditional fields as housewives and going into new fields. And this was nothing new to them. This had started really about 1914 when Chinese revolutionaries, both men and women, wanted to overthrow the empire. They had an empire at that time. They successfully overthrew it. But they also wanted new roles for women. Women to leave their feudalistic sort of constraints in China. So Mao was like the second generation of Chinese leftists who supported women's roles. And he supported the first camera women to do documentary films documenting news in China. And I'd like to read a little bit about these women. Um, two women were, men, were pioneers of the first generation of Chinese camera women, 1949 to 1950, Xu Shijun and Chen Qin Jin Tai. Xu Qi said, at that time, most Chinese women stayed home and most fields weren't available to women. The government encouraged women to get out get jobs and become independent. Chen Jin Ti added that in 1949, when the government called out to liberate Chinese women from being housewives, she and her friends were excited, wanting to show that whatever a man would do, they could do just as well. So if, if Mao wanted camera women, well, most of the Chinese men camera women didn't want a woman assistant. And what the women decided to do, if the men carried one camera object they would carry too. They would show that they could do the job. And they have continued. These women became mentors and taught in the film school in Beijing when it started to there's generation after generation of Chinese camera women since 1950. Okay, that's one government program. A second government program was in Canada. In 1974, as you remember, there was a global women's movement. And the women, the Canadian women in the National Film Board, convinced the Canadian government to establish Studio D, the globe's first government-funded studio de dedicated to women documentary filmmakers. And they trained women in camera, directing, writing at Studio D. Um, and they often made controversial documentaries. For example, Susan Tro broke into cinematography at Studio D during Camera Women for If You Love This Planet about anti-nuclear crusader Helen Caldicott and Behind the Veil Nuns, which examined the sexual politics of the Catholic Church. They made over 100 documentaries, many of which broke taboos, one of which, Not a Love Story, a film about pornography, which was made by women in Canada. Um, the Canadian government also developed not just film documented films made by women in English, but also in French, and also they had native Canadian women, a special project for native you know, Canadian women to make films in which they did. And though Studio D became a model for women's documentary units around the globe, and its films won over 100 international awards, the Canadian government closed down the program in 1996. So that's the second project. 
A third project I just briefly mention in Australia. In Australia in the 70s, there was a young woman named Erica Addis, and we tell her story. She wanted to get into films. Again, it was the International Year of the Women, and the Australian government says, okay, we'll have workshops for trained women for more jobs. Erica Addis took one of these workshops to learn how to make films, and then the Australian government was very worried that most Australians saw Hollywood films. So they said, we need our own film industry, and we're going to start the Australian Film School. And they encouraged women to come to the film school and producing both directors, Gillian Armstrong, Erica Addis, a whole generation came out of that film school. So there was two things going on helping Australian women. Uh, you know, the openness to encouraging women plus Australia wanting to make its own films. Okay? Now, but you have to, I asked myself what was very interesting is the, the country that seems to have the most successful women's cinematographies is France. You agree? Well, why France? You know, it has some amazing women cinematographers who are very important now, and, you know, and they worked with major French directors. And I'd like to tell two of their stories. The first one I gotta find. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, French camera woman Dominique Le Rigoleur, she she uh, she started getting jobs with cinematographer Nestor Almendros. He was from Spain. He was a leftist. He was committed to having assistants who were black, and he hired blacks to work with him, and also women. And he hired her again and again. So she said that um, she worked six years with him, with directors Francois Truffaut, Eric Romer, Maurice Pelliat, Jean Attache. Uh, thanks to him, I knew Marguerite Duras, the most important person in my future career. So after she had worked under, you know, Amadras, under these major, very famous French filmmakers, she had established her career. So you get a favorable male director who hires women. That's another way to do it. And... Still another way to do it is, I'll tell the story of Agnes Varda, who is one of the leaders, as you know, of the French New Wave. And she was always very sympathetic and worked for many years with cameraman Norith Aviv, supporting her work, supporting her career. And she said, Varda has said that she has uh, always wanted to work with women who do camera on her films, as, and she has worked, gotten women jobs as focus pullers, camera assistants, and sound women. She says, I worked with the first woman sound mixer in an auditorium. I fought hard for women to become technicians. For example, I was behind the first woman to obtain an official cheap operator card in the field of cinema. That was Narith Aviv. And she's happy that about 40 women in France now have, this was a couple years back, had major careers. And she worked with Agnes Goddard, who again worked with another famous French filmmaker, Claire Denis. That combination of Claire Denis, Agnes Goddard has made some very fine films. So I think the support of, if you have a, a, a French, if you have like the French system, which really supports the director as auteur and the directors support camera women, mm -hmm. then it can really make a whole group, as in France, of camera women's careers. Right. 
and America's been catching up with those statistics because they just, just reported this week, they did some kind of a study that if you have a woman director, uh, you're much more likely to have women in the women in the crew. Uh, uh, and that's something we already know from France. Yeah. And Fardo was incredibly helpful for starting so many camera women uh, got started. But when, when I first interviewed her in, in, in Paris, um, she was supportive does not necessarily mean friendly. She was, you know, very dictatorial about where I put my camera when I was interviewing her and, you know, very much the, the auteur documentary director, uh, even in an interview situation. But it was, it was a great honor to be able to interview her. So, um, uh, thank you for sharing that. I think we can also maybe uh, add to that, and maybe some of you also know more things to add to what Julia's been discussing. Um, but I know Sweden may be, may be something we want to add to that list. There's a little bit about Sweden in the, in the book, that again, um, the, the Swedish government has been very, was very helpful at a certain point at, um, at funding some women director and producers' uh, films, and then in turn they hired camera women. Otherwise, those women would not have had their, their breaks. So thank you for sharing okay. that. that, uh, that. Mm -hmm. I think we should open it up right away to questions and discussions if we can. Or I, I think we have a, a mix of people who are interested in camera, but also women screenwriters. And I, I think that it would be very nice to be able to have some parallel comments and suggestions. If you guys can move up a little bit, that would be even better, because I'd like to be able to hear your questions. Um, yeah, if you... Oops, sorry. <laughs> And if you can move up so uh, Alexis can hear your questions, or yeah. I'll repeat them. Yeah. Uh, do, do, uh, I, I can't hear from the back row. That's why I'm asking you to move up. Okay. Uh, so uh, actually, if you want, because I, I, I'm really interested to hear what you're going to have to say about women screenwriters, so that we're we're both in the WGA. But I, I do have one more thing I could share with you, if you want, about how some of the other guilds and unions and groups have been dealing with women in their midst. ICG is really like an old dinosaur. It's way way behind. The numbers are you know two to five percent at the highest. The numbers in the, for the screenwriters guild are also low, but they're not nowhere. As low, uh, except for women of color uh, and minorities. So uh, we have these th th these kinds of things to deal with. But I thought I would specifically um, uh, share with you just this one section to, to see if this will help with the discussion. Uh, how do U.S. camera unions compare with other major professional organizations that represent other screen industry workers? The screen Actors Guild, the Writers Guild, Directors Guild all have had active women's committees or caucuses since the 1970s. For example, among the DGA women's steering committee's activities uh, have been the creation of the, w, of the DGA women and ethnic minority members contact lists for employers, an active mentor-mentee program, a fellowship program, and annual employment mixers where members can meet producers, production executives, and other professionals in film and television. The Writers Guild of America West, WGAW, commissioned a series of reports on women, minorities, and older people in screenwriting, all groups facing discrimination in a young, white, male-dominated industry. The WGA studied the employment numbers up close, made a series of recommendations, including the following. 
mentorship programs, gender-blind, color-blind, age-blind submissions of screenplays to producers, timetables for producers to make the transition to more diverse employment, and encouraging development and production of films that show the points of view of women, minorities, the LBGT community, and older people. In January 2014, the Writers Guild's Committee of Women Writers started a women's initiative, quote, whose mission is to raise the profile of women in the WGA and in the industry at large. And if you look at the PGA, we have similar kinds of, of really, really constructive things that have happened. And when we talk internationally, for example, uh, the, the PGA uh, discovered that all the work in the UK... Uh, that the UK does in the area of diversity is financed by lottery and the government. And they were also able to get 21 separate unions, guilds, and organizations in the UK to sign an agreement to advance diversity in their individual organizations. So compared to that, we have like almost dead silence when it comes to the ICG. So what do you, what do you think? And, and maybe there are other topics you'd like us to discuss in terms of how do women get into the field or what do they shoot? What are some of their best experiences, their best moments, the most dangerous things they've faced? Whatever it is that you'd like us to talk about, we're, we're here to take your questions. Oh, yes. Um, how is it in India? I, I know I have a couple of friends who that the movie industry is really followers so huge. And so I know that there are a number of women screenwriters, but how is it for women uh, cinematographers there? Well, um, Priya Seth, we interview at, at great length in this book in a particular chapter that deals with childcare issues. Uh, she is happily married to another cinematographer. They both work in Bollywood. They feel that they have this special cinematographer language that only they can share. Like four in the morning, they can talk about how many you know lights they're using for a dance number or whatever, and uh, how many stops to overexpose something for a particular effect. And uh, and and, they, and and I just looked at their when we were I, I was in Mumbai you know filming them and. I just thought, wow, I wish it were like this in Los Angeles because they have a really big extended family. Childcare is extremely inexpensive. Lots of servants. Uh, progressive ideas within their own particular community. And, uh, you know, I mean, there are some studios that do have childcare centers, but if you're filming a 20-hour day on location for several weeks in a row, I mean, it's, it's much more difficult, much more challenging for most American camera women, I think, and camera men, for that matter, who want to be active fathers to their kids. It's very, uh, it's much more of a challenge here as far as that issue goes. Um, uh, but uh, we, we interviewed her and quite a, uh, several other camera women at great length. And actually, uh, it, filming in India really changed my life because I had gone there specifically to film in Bollywood to, as a follow-through to what was going on in France as we started to internationalize the project. And then I thought, well, I'll take a couple of days off and go to Ahmed about because I love clothes, I wanted a vacation, and also I wanted to go to Gandhi's ashram. And I just happened to have arrived there the day that videos, that SUA, which is a self-employed women's association of thousands of women, they were celebrating having survived uh, a, a, a drought, an earthquake that had killed 20,000 people, and they had their own video unit. And so we were filming, uh, we, we began to film um, women who had 
never even seen a television before and then who had become camera women had been very, very empowered in that process and were speaking for themselves. They didn't need me to come from Los Angeles, first world, third world kind of dynamics and, and dictate the shots. They could really be their own uh, unit and that was a completely different way of filming in terms of listening as a director and working collaboratively with people from other countries. So it wasn't just the, the more elite women of Bollywood and, and there are success stories behind the camera but it was also how were women um, able to uh, take cameras to help their community get water so that they could you know uh, have something to drink and, and that the d diseases would go down in their village because they had water to wash clothes with and so forth and so on I mean that, that was a, a life changing experience for me to see that there was so much more to the world and, 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 and the dynamics of, of working with other people. hope that answers that question a little. Yeah. Are there other questions? You, you, I love that you outlined a few things that are happening around what happened around the world mm -hmm. and increased opportunities for women. I'm often, we've talked about this, we were on um, and, you know, I often think to myself, how can we bridge the gap between the cinematographers, the directors, the writers, and bring women together who have never met each other, who don't know each other? We all need work, you know? Um, I suppose I, I don't know the answer to that. There's a lot of answers. Well, there, there are many answers, but one of them is that we, we, we damn well would like, pardon my language, but we, we absolutely would like to make sure that camera women's reels are looked at by producers and directors, uh, and preferably without a name attached, because we've, we, we know, you know, scientifically, you know, that if a woman's name is attached, it's not viewed as, as uh, taken as, as seriously sometimes. And, uh, and that certainly has worked in the Writers Guild, because the women who have been in that, in that small program where, where the scripts are delivered to producers without their names attached I mean they get deals and they, and, and, and they may, the changes are made in their lives but the ICG needs to catch up with that Can I speak to that? Sure, but if you could come closer okay. it would be better because I, I could hear you better Thank you, thanks I yeah, appreciate it okay. Great. Um, I, I often uh, take issue with the blind submission thing okay. because I see it as a way of uh, people get to hide behind it all the time, oh. and so what happens? They go, oh well, you know, we didn't know, but we just picked the best scripts. But people often, you know, who's picking the scripts? Who's reading the scripts? Or who's watching the reels? Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. So people, well, we have to look at the demographics of those people. I feel like it really requires outreach. So, for example. The LGBT uh, committee at the WGA, this is all just insider information, <laughs> uh, had a, a reading series. And there were 11 writers, two of which were women, two, whose scenes were saying. That's insane. That's insane. It's unacceptable. And they can hide behind the, hey man, it was blind submission. I don't think it should be blind submissions, and I don't. It, it requires outreach. You go, no, this is what we want. This is the demographical, the demographic makeup or mix-up that we want, and reach out to those writers. There's not a dearth of mm -hmm. female writers, gay female right. writers, 
And it's, we've dealt with that issue. I talked about it a lot doing the scenes for women. You can't just sit here and go, oh, we like, quote, diversity. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. And how are you going to do that? And it has to be a mindful action. Yes, I all the way through. Yeah, I th mindfulness is really a key word. I'm so glad you brought that up. Uh, because I think another area of blindness on the part of some of the goodwill gals uh, is that they'll say, oh, well, let's, let's have this program where we'll have like an internship program and, and help these young women and minorities get their foot in the door. They get their foot in the door, and then as soon as they've completed the program, there's no room for them on the actual, in the actual, you know, uh, a writing room for the writers or behind the camera uh, for 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 you know camera women. Uh, so that can be a very painful raw experience. Uh, not only that, but what about the um, mid-range uh, writers, directors, um, uh, camera women who have fantastic reels and resumes, amazing work. They've shot two features, or I mean, directed two features, or written five features, whatever it is, uh, miniseries, what have you, um, but they no longer qualify to get the uh, opportunities of the young up-and-coming first-timers. And they're left to float. So we have this syndrome in Hollywood, especially in Hollywood, but really, I mean, across the board, you know, where somebody will do a fantastic first project, lots of great reviews and everything. Where's the second one? Because that kind of thing starts to kick in. So that's another problem. Yes? I want to speak to a little bit about what you said. So I'm a producer and wine producer and a production manager, and I look at all the submissions, and I've done about 40 films, almost 50% of which have been female directors, which is obviously rare. Um, I'm currently working with a female, I've never worked with a female cinematographer on a feature. And I'm working with, and I know a couple, uh, and I said, I'm currently working with a female director, and she specifically said, I would like to work with a female cinematographer, and I said, great. I constantly get submissions with the local line and the other line agencies. There, I am submitted two women, it's always the same two women, over and over. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, has there been a conversation with agencies, because that's a huge thing, because, of course, and I do independent features, oh. a lot of first time, I second see. time, third time directors, yeah. or bigger directors who are doing their passion projects, so I'm in a great mm -hmm. position to put those people in those roles. Mm -hmm. And I can't find that in a weird way. Uh, you've brought up what I think is the most painful point, yeah. and that is the agents and managers who are often the gatekeepers. Can you address that? Because I have a feeling that you, you can. Oh. With the idea of what's going on with the agents? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, uh, the the agent's not know, pushing forward uh, the yeah. work of women and minor, uh, women and minorities. Yeah, I happen to be lucky. I have a good, I have a great agent, and he gets it. I mean, he gets a lot of stuff that uh, a lot of other white guys don't get. So mm -hmm. there's that. Um, so that's huge. He had my back recently on something. I I optioned a series concept, and I would not sign off on it until the company uh, gave me a guarantee that I would have say in the EP, in the co-EP, co-showroom, hmm. and also uh, that that the first tier, because they gave me a list of, of people, and I was like, okay, so every single person on this list is a white guy. So that is not gonna work for me, particularly on this project, particularly on this project. So I said, I'm not, I, I, I expressed how important it was to me uh, in general, but also with regard to this project in terms of the, the topic. Um, 
that that list, the first tier, second tier of people that I'm meant to consider that we're really looking at needs to be female and needs to be largely non-white female. That's really crucial for me on this. And they agreed to it. And my agent had my back. Wonderful. Um, but, you know, I've heard this experience before um, with regard to agents and who are they submitting. You know, yeah, it's it's a problem. It's a problem. But I think that it's important for someone to say, yeah, 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 I know you submitted these, but it's not acceptable. Yeah. So you could you contact no. that agent and say, I'm not looking at anything unless it looks like this. Unless I the ask because they don't have the female right. miles, too, as part of the issues. All right. There, that, that, maybe but there's maybe it's a different. You've got to go to a different agency or something. Yeah. I feel like everyone's got an answer. Yeah. All these people have answers. They all have something to hide behind, right? Just, there's a smoke and mirrors thing going on yeah. that is right. not. Well, that's what Jason, Jesse Maple Patton said. The first African American woman to become a, a full director of photography in the union in New York. Uh, she said that the the union said that. The network said, "Yes, don't hire you." The network do said, "Well, it's the union's fault." She had to end up suing the networks and the unions just to be able to get work, because this hiding behind mirrors or smoke screens, whatever, it's it's not acceptable. And if you're a showrunner, you you have can have the power to say, "I will only, you know, I, I want to make sure that we consider this, this, and this." Uh, person and this person of this, this, and this background, um, but uh, there are too many people who really do do not uh, choose to do that and are still working with the old boy syndrome. So can I say something about that? Yes. I think it goes deeper than that. I think that is true, but what I, I, I want. There's one thing in Hollywood, which I, it was a quote from Sarah Pillsbury. They asked, well, what is the factors in, in the United States film industry which makes it so male-dominated? And Sarah Pillsbury, she's a producer. She's produced a number of very fine features. Desperately uh, Seeking Susan. Yeah, and then the How to Make an American Quilt. What she said was that, I think it's, what she said is that Hollywood films make films for want to make films for global marketplaces and global films that's action films I have the quote I was going to quote it but it's it's basically very little don't need subtitles very little words sex jokes flatulent jokes things directed at adolescent males and those have been global blockbusters and now you have the Hunger Games. Finally, you have a woman leading one of these global blockbusters. But they don't like to hire camera women because they don't, it's a 50 to $100 million film. It's a big film. They don't think a woman can handle it. They don't think, they have a lot of reasons, but that's the main reason they're going to hire a small group of white men who they think that can deliver the goods. Mm -hmm. You have to change that. I think that's a major structure of a, if you, if you step back and look at that, it's a multinational industry we have. It's no longer, like in the 40s, we had a different kind of film industry, right? They had different genres, gangster genre. Well, they had a women's genre, right? With Catherine Hepburn films, if you remember. Wonderful Catherine Hepburn films. And then certain women screenwriters would write for these women writers, right? We do have a genre of black films. Black films have made a lot of money, right? So some black directors and writers are breaking through there. Well, but, I think that's one place where this book can come in handy because we have some uh, uh, members of the American Society of Cinematographers like Ellen Curras and the Canadian Society of Cinematographers like Zoe Durst who speak directly to 
if you really want to be an important director of photography, you're going to have a lot of people working with you, and it's not just your eye. It's not just a matter of what ballet lessons that you have as a little girl that might have given you the idea of movement isn't it, or anything like that. I'm being a little facetious. It really has to do with your leadership skills and how to develop your leadership skills. And technology is always changing, but the idea of being able to work with usually quite a number of men working under you so they don't resent but will follow your direction and see yourselves and what they, what, what, what Ellen Kerr calls, you know, my, my, my family or at least I've been go to hug in India as my non-biological family, uh, you know, to, to say that there's that, that teamwork, Priya Seth, who, whom I mentioned before, she actually gives sweaters when it gets cold to all of her crew members and they they, they said no one has ever treated us like this before. No one has ever cared about us, you know, as, as the way you do. And these women know how to be very, very effective and compassionate leaders, and are respected very much for being able to do that kind of thing. So things are changing somewhat. Yeah, I want to tell a story about that. There's a wonderful French documentary filmmaker, uh, Marina. Uh, Goldeskaya, she uh, Russian. Yeah, Russian. Yeah. She made some fantastic Russian films showing how Russian was changing when it was breaking up, and uh, she came, she was making them documentary films around the country, and she was making a documentary film in this in this country. And one of her crew members did not like her. She knew he didn't like like her. So what? She, so she thought to herself, mm, "Time story. to get out the vodka." So she 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 doesn't usually do this, but she says, "Time, we're all going to have a drink after the day of shooting." So she got off she got off the vodka, and this guy was included. He's American, you know, and you know, every they were drinking shots. She and her crew, it was like five of them, and he said to her, "Well, I was told that you can't trust the commies," and she looked at him. Well, I was told you can't trust the Americans, and said, oh, then they started telling jokes, and then they got along, you know. I I mean, she obviously knew how to take, you know, relate to a crew, mm-hmm. you know, anywhere in the world. Right. People right? skills. Yeah, but you have to be able to prove that, I think, as cinematographers, because a $50 million film has a very big crew, has a very big camera crew. And I think women have proved it, but more of them have to get that reputation. Yes, they can, you know, take, yes, they can give orders and have a very good, you know, smooth running crew with, you know, 40 people on the camera. Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking about your China, uh, the story about the cinematography, the women carrying yeah. two for every one of the guys. Yeah, yeah. And I was thinking about that when you were, when you were talking about it, that, you know, it's just that thing of like women have to work twice or three times as hard. Uh, right, and so you know, it makes you roll your eyes on one hand, but on the other hand, if there's a way, if there were a way to kind of box that up and go, look, here's proof that you've got stellar female cinematographers because they're working twice. You're going to get a lot of bang for your buck, so to speak. You know, it's pretty. Well, Zoe Durst grew up on a farm. And so she was used to carrying very heavy things. And so when the guys would say, well, we want you to pick up that, you know, 200-pound camera and tripod thing, she would, she had enough self-confidence to be able to say, you do it. Let me see you do that. And, and, and Margaret Moth from New Zealand, and people would joke about the weight of equipment, and she'd say, well, you know, I come from New Zealand where there are more sheep than there are people, and we're used to carrying sheep around our, on our back. So, right. you know, so... so yeah. you have to, you can't afford as a woman to phone it in. You can't afford, you have to, like, 
really focus, really do your job really, really well. well it, to it, have I to get it. And beyond that, too, there's finessing people. I think, you know, yeah. I'm a mm -hmm. photographer who's, you know, go on his reputation be like, you don't like working with me? You're fired. With right. It's like, oh, you do that. Yeah, of course right, right. Madeline Most, who okay. was the... Be great at what I do. Right. Yeah, and in the book, yeah, in the book we tell the story of uh, Madeline Most, who said that that uh, if she if she drops this Panavision camera and going up the ladder to the, the very top of the, the lights, then and it goes and it goes splat. It's going to be all over for cam for women to ever have another opportunity behind the camera. Uh, whereas there are men who are talked about in this book who have drop cameras or broken things, and they are top TPs. So these kinds of things, we're still pushing the, you know, pushing through on some of these issues, but we do try to, whenever possible, include stories like that so that women will be able to be empowered to be able to see what's possible, what's what still, you know, has to, what, what, what still needs to be fought, and what is possible here and now so that um, they'll have more self-confidence about going about jobs that they love. I have a question back there. It has to be nice and loud or else come up. I, I also think to that point that, you know, as producers, we need to encourage more women on, you know, see, it's a very much of an apprentice business. You know, so when people come in and they're PAs and they're starting out, you know, and I even had this choice at one point when I was young in the business. It's like, am I going to go into the camera department or am I going to go into production? And, you know, we are encouraging more and more women to go production route because it just is much more traditional. And we need to change that dynamic because it, at every level what will happen is that the crews will start to get used to having more women in their departments. Mm -hmm. And the women can be much more ambassadors for all of us and work our way up. So I think we just also as producers need to be encouraging women more and more to go into, into the camera department. Okay. I think you're right, and I think one of the good things about this book, it shows how women broke in in the past, and what kind of workshops, training programs did help in the past. Because the BBC opened up its camera program, training program to women. In Australia, the same thing. In Canada, they did the, Canada, they did the same thing. So we know that if, if you get, you know, the national networks, we can have, go to PBS, for example. Tomorrow, if you want to get a group of women and say, open up, have a camera training room program for women, okay? And also make documentaries. You can show them on PBS across the country. Because we, we know that that's a success because it's been a success in Canada. And I wanted to say something about Canada. They just elected uh, Premier Trudeau, and he had half of his cabinet as women. And they said, why did you do that? And he says it's 2015. <laughs> I mean, you ask, well, why do we need more diversity? You say, it's 2015. That's what Trudeau did. One of these books, that there was over 50 or 60 years of film by women, Docu loads of film, documentaries, independent films by women, directors, cinematographers, etc. You know, a huge range, vast range of film. Women have been shooting historical footage film. That's why I talked with this Chinese woman from now, from 1950 to now. 
right? 1949. Yeah, 1949, around the world, all around the world. So you can't say women now can't do camera women in the most dangerous situations because we've had Nancy, Nancy German and Margaret Moth who are news camera women in, in, you know, in Sarajevo when it broke up. Margaret Moth got almost killed, you know. Margaret Moth had her face blown off in in filming war footage. And after many surgeries and her face was put together enough so that she could go out again, she went back to war zones and continued her work as a war cinematographer. Uh, So there are some real stories of courage and uh, taking risks uh, in our book as well. Yes. goes on from 40 pages or something like that, 20, 40 pages uh, at the end of our of our book of the camera women who are, inter- we interviewed over 90 women and many of the camera women who are working who are from other countries actually work in LA as well as Brazil or Argentina or the UK whatever so uh, it, it does become somewhat globalized as far as that goes but there, there's a fairly extensive list here and um, and, and, and some of the women, if you want to see what they look like, in addition to the, we have a color, uh, color photo, photo section as well as, as well as pictures all the way through. Uh, here's Liz Ziegler, who worked with Stanley Kubrick, who was the foremost Steadicam operator that I that I've ever heard of. And uh, uh, so there, there are quite a number of them. And also the documentary, Women Behind the Camera, also uh, shows some of these women at, at work on on sets and in uh, LA or New York or other countries. That's the first thing I did when I picked up the book and I went to the back to see oh. the names of people that I know yeah. uh, who was in there. Um, so most of the big names that I, I'm aware of are in there. And that's why I mentioned Rebecca Baylor because she's not and she should be. Uh, well, as we say in the preface, there are quite there are quite a number of women. Like for example, Jessica Lopez is all over uh, Facebook with fantastic uh, technological equipment that she's working with every week, something new. And um, and and, I, and what I say in the in the preface is that uh, this is a start that we 
focused on women historically. We also tried to have a balance. So there are some camera women, like for example, Linda Brown, who runs the USC cinematography department. I mean, she should really have like a whole chapter. You know, but at a certain point we had enough American women working in Los Angeles. We wanted to make sure we were also including women who were working in Senegal, working in Indonesia, working in Japan, working in, you know, wherever. So it was sometimes extremely painful what to keep, what to cut, because we, you know, we were under, we were under strict orders. We can't go to 600 pages with this book. So, um, it, 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 you know, it's it's a it's a really uh, an interesting issue. You know, every time there's a new camera woman, sometimes there'll be an article about one or maybe five or maybe six new camera women, and it looks like all the problems are solved, everything. And then you look at the statistics; it's still between two and five percent of the top films being shot by women. Uh, so. Um, so don't be, you know, don't be bamboozled into when you see a, a, a perky young camerawoman who's doing fantastic work uh, that all of our problems are solved. Is, um, is it just women, or is it just what they're dealing with and their subject matter? That was what that was really about. I mean, you can have women or men women. <laughs> well, well, we actually. You know, in the chapter about what what do women see, we actually do uh, try to deal with what the camera, some of the camerawomen's responses were to the idea of, well, if you're a successful ca- successful camerawoman, meaning getting a lot of jobs, and um, and you're working with mostly male directors, and they have a particular vision, your job is to translate their vision, whatever that vision may be. And that brings up a whole other can of worms in terms of female aesthetics. You know, we haven't seen that too many films that where you can say, oh, wow, I, the way that kitchen was filmed, I absolutely can see my mother and my grandmother in that, in that mise-en-scene. You know, or, I mean, perhaps that's a, a sexist example, in which case I, I apologize, but, but it, it's, it's a very interesting issue. Um, and we, we explore it, but we don't, ha- we don't have definitive answers because there's such a range of answers. No, there's not one woman fits all, you know, or, you know, one particular African American woman speaks for all African American women, or, uh, or, or, or one woman from the UK speaks to, for all British experiences. There's a huge range uh, of individual uh, work, and there are there are feminist male cinematographers as well who have a, what we might consider a female vision. It's a sympathy to a woman's way of seeing. So it becomes a very complex issue. Um, I'd like to. Uh, I, I, I don't think that... <laughs> well, no, I mean, it's a fair question. Um, it comes up a lot. Uh, I think that uh, it doesn't matter because if you're a marginalized group, people are going to find a way to dismiss your work. So Bridesmaids come out, comes out. It makes huge money at the box office, not only uh, domestically but internationally. And they're still asking the question... Women That's a whole bunch of bullshit right there. That's crazy. It's pathological, is what it is. Mm-hmm. So you have uh, what's the um, help me out here? The director of um, is it Hum- Hunger Games or is it Twilight? Twilight. Twilight. Female Melissa. Melissa. Catherine. Catherine. That's right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Melissa. No, it's Catherine. Who didn't get a chance to do the second Twilight. Uh, right. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, 
what the hell? <laughs> That's not a, a chick flick. See, you do the you do a, a relationship movie, it becomes a chick flick. Can't just be. Woody Allen does yeah. his films; they're not chick flicks. Well, I think what you're addressing, and if, 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 if I could, can I, yeah. I really think. Oh, I'm sorry to do this. <laughs> I really think it's the idea of an auteur. So when these lawsuits came through with equal opportunity, you know, they were publicized. Yeah, there should be fairness and parity in um, employment opportunities. But here you're dealing with an auteur situation. So it really takes a Miranda July, or it takes someone with an extreme vision to reorient the world. And you're hiring your friends because you want to keep that vision tight. So it's like. What you, what you need to do is just push the talent forward. You've got to really get the geniuses that surround you. But who is the push you? What? Who is the you? I think all of us. I, whenever I see a woman who's really good at her game, I yeah. push her forward. I don't complain. Yeah. I never complain because who is going to help a complain? What I do is I say this one really knows. This, and that's how you this, get this, quality to the top. I, I, I love the the linguistic nature of the this discussion that we're talking about who's the you and then I'm, I also have the question who's the they because when you're talking about critics what is it 70% of the reviews are written by that get published in newspapers for example get written by men and not all of them are sympathetic to women some of the women who are reviewers have to tell the party line which may not be a feminist line either so you have a much smaller percentage of reviews that are being written to promote forward, bring attention to the work of, of women. And that's another problem. So the the they factor, the you factor, these are these are things that, you know, are, are, are part of our discussion I think with re- with reason. Well, so it kind of goes back to that classic thing of, you know, I'm sorry, I think you were about to wrap up I'll just throw this in but uh, you know, people used to talk about Kind of, oh, feminism is for, for women. It's, it has nothing to do with men. It absolutely has to do with men. Right. It absolutely has to do with men. We and have the best to, male thinking right now. And we we that's have what we to have them on board. Yeah. Well, they are on board. But we, we need to... <laughs> really? Yeah, no. We need the good ones? Truly. You know, there are sharp minds. There are Ivy League. Sure. These are smart people. Right. And what we have to do is just give them quality nutrition. You yeah. know, that's... And we've got to keep... Every time do women always have to yeah. nurture I, I, I've had audiences. I know kids. I'm not a nurturer, but I am someone when I recognize quality, and when I see it, I don't have any reservations. This one's good, and you push it to the top, and that's how we all get up. You take the ones like Miranda July who have it, and you push them, and then she will circulate, and she will grab us, you know. And that's what we've got to do. That's that's the trick. In it's not. A fairness game, you know, because these are people they want, they work so hard so that they can just simply be where they can be with all their friends, you know. So what we've got to do is we've got to find the people with vision and push them up there. Every smart woman you see, you push them up there. You know? And then every woman just has to stick to their vision and yeah. not allow they anyone. support each other. Yeah, you have to, totally you just have to have your vision, yeah. and that will take you where you're going to go. Yeah, and Miranda July takes a lot of shit, but she's yeah. breaking ground. And, you know, I mean, and the writers, get the women writers, get the sharp ones, you know, and just, you know, not everybody has it, but, you know, keep pushing quality to the top. And you know what quality is. It's not adolescent boys. It's, that's not, you don't play that game. What, you know it's not smart stuff. You know it's not good. Don't push it. Push the quality. And people will follow quality. Nobody wants to come that right now. But they're all too scared to get out there and tell the truth. Well, I'm, I'm delighted that we've had a chance to talk. Uh, I do notice that it's 
all women sitting here right now. Sometimes, like when I've shown the film that the book is based on, um, and I'd like the Dhaka International Film Festival in Bangladesh, the 90% of the audience has been male. And the discussions have still been very interesting, and they've been there for maybe more than for the American guys in the audience. Uh, so uh, I'm delighted that you're all here, and we have the books here. We also have copies of the film and the earlier book. So we'll, we'll, we'll be here if you have more questions, and I think our discussion, our formal discussion, is over. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.